Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 89. My name is Adam. Today we're joined by Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing all right. First up today, we'll be speaking with actor, writer, horror fanatic Tal Zimmerman on his film project, Why Horror, which is currently funding on Kickstarter. Then we'll be going over some of what we've been watching. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand and DVD and Blu-ray releases. Don't have a feature review lined up today, but we do have, I think, a good number of horror movies to talk about for the, yeah. for the holiday season, as I like to call it. Let's kick things off with a conversation with Tal Zimmerman to talk about some horror movies along with a little documentary called Why Horror, which he has currently funding on Kickstarter. Let's do it. Tal, thanks so much for taking some time to talk with us. I figured we'd start with an easy one. Why horror? That's the name of the movie. <laughs> Why horror? That's what we're trying to find out. Everybody's got a different reason for uh, for watching horror, for making horror, for taking part in the whole thing. Some of those reasons are personal. Some of those reasons are, um, you know, because their friends do it. Some of those reasons... I find a lot of the time when I ask people about horror, uh, they say, oh, you know, I had this uncle that was way into horror, or I had this, you know, the cool kid up the street would show up with Famous Monsters magazines to school, and uh, and that's where it started for me. So everybody's got a everybody's got a different way in and a different sort of thing that they see in it, which is really, really exciting. So the documentary, it doesn't, does it focus on movies, or does it also get into other aspects of horror like comic books video games that type of thing yeah it's broad it goes it goes into um all kinds of media really and obviously you can't talk about horror without talking about movies because that's you know the most widespread way that people get their horror but right. yeah it definitely goes we talk about comic books tattoos even uh, um all different kinds of stuff uh, you know literature tv shows breakfast cereals everywhere that it exists you know we're trying to sort of peel it back a little bit and look at what's underneath it all um, now, because because I mean, you know you know back in the day before tv before movies there was horror so where did where did you know where did what we consume and watch now where did that come from you know yeah. and that's what we're asking yeah and what for you personally what do you think your introduction into horror was like why why does horror speak to you so much uh, interesting question. Um, again, again, because we're going so deep with this documentary, uh, I could tell you, you know, all the stuff that I was into as a kid, but I don't know if that necessarily answers the question as concisely as, as I, as I would like to. I mean, as a kid, I was way into dinosaurs. You know, a lot of kids are into dinosaurs mm-hmm. and sharks and cobras and sort of predatory creatures with big fangs that, that I don't know, somehow as a little kid, you think that's cool. You want that power, you know. You, you somehow you associate with the with the with the things that are you know sharp fangs and all that stuff. Um, and like I said before, I had an uncle with a box of Famous Monsters magazine, and uh, and I found it uh, under his bed one day, and um, and I was like, holy crap, what is this stuff? And it and it took me forever to really kind of get into the movies because I was a huge chicken as a kid. I was really, you know, I could look at pictures of Dracula, and I even spent a couple of Halloweens as Camp Dracula, but, um, you know, uh, becoming the horror fan that I was really started with uh, looking at books and, and that box of Famous Monsters magazines, and um, eventually when I sort of came of age, I started renting movies, uh, and, and, and I watched Dawn of the Dead, 
and uh, and it was like a, a shot of white light. You know, it was incredible. It was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen, and I still watch it a couple times a year. You know, I'm 38 now, and this was back when I was 12. So. It's, it- it's so funny that this movie comes up because I'm a huge horror fan too. I'm I'm like borderline obsessed with horror as well. And yep. just recently my girlfriend asked me like why do you like horror movies so much? Like yeah. I don't understand why this is. And it actually made me think about it like wait a minute, why do I like horror so much? Because I mean, I go to conventions, I I do all kinds of stuff. I mean, a lot of the reporting that we do on the site is with horror movies and stuff. So it kind of made me think about why I like horror movies so much. And it's not as easy to pinpoint, you know, as, as yeah. you might think. It's not like one thing where it's like, oh, I discovered this one movie. Because I think back to my childhood and I did also have a family member that was into horror and I was never allowed to watch any of the movies, but I would mm-hmm. try to I would try to sneak sneak down and put them in the VHS player. And I remember watching a, a TV edit of Night- a nightmare on Elm street and yeah. being so horrified by it. I couldn't sleep for days. And I think back and it's like, there were all these things that like scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. So why do I yeah. like horror so much now? You couldn't like, sleep for days, but I bet you couldn't wait to get back too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing. It was like, it's a, it was almost like I was kind of, subconsciously trying to conquer this this fear and as That's a result it. it made me like so into this genre yeah well you you said it right there it's almost like you know you survive the experience and it's almost like the thrill of surviving it makes you go back for more and uh and some people are way into that and some people aren't you know and and there's a personality difference there it's like um you know if you're talking with um you know, not only filmmakers and artists and authors, but we're also talking with psychologists on this project too. Um, and some like horror and some don't like horror. And uh, the things that they have to say are very enlightening. And I don't want to spoil the movie, but I will say that there's a personality issue at play here. There's something uh, 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 about curious people, about people who want to confront these things, but do so in a safe environment. I mean, we like horror, but we don't necessarily, you know, like death. We're not going to pour through the news and get all excited when there's like a mass killing in some oh, country yeah. or, or we read about serial killers. Like, that's not where it is for us. It's almost like essential to the experience is the contract between the creator and the person taking it in that says this is artificial. What you're about to see is not real. And then we can let our guard down and really get into it. But if you're presented with something that is real, you don't want to look at it, you know. I find that a lot of horror fans, um, you know, the people I hang with, are, are genuinely sensitive people. They're not into death, you know. They're not right. into they're not into the themes that horror explores, but they're into the exploration of those themes in, in create by creative means. What I want to do is uh, maybe if you could talk about some of the people that you do interview, because you mentioned that you talk to psychologists, filmmakers. I was wondering if you could just give us an idea of who is going to be in this. Uh, sure. Um, well, as a horror fan, these are, uh, these are bucket list interviews. You know, these are people that, uh, that I really got to put on my game face, uh, mm-hmm. when I talk to them, uh, George Romero, I got to sit down with for a half an hour and talk to him. And so I, I don't even remember the conversation. I remember <laughs> it because we recorded it, but beyond that, I just, 
I mean, my heart rate was up. I was freaking out. This is somebody who I worshipped my, you know, entire adult life and, you know, early teenage life. Uh, we, we got John Carpenter at a convention really briefly, but we got him. Uh, he's a very, um, a very astute uh, uh, horror observer. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Niles, uh, the, the writer behind 30 Days of Night and several other uh, incredible things you may have read. Uh, Nat Jones, who... Uh, who's a visual artist, uh, my friend Gary Pullen, who's also a visual artist, uh, Chris Alexander, the editor-in-chief at Sangoria, Dave Alexander, the editor-in-chief at Rue Morgue magazine up here in Canada, uh, Rodrigo Godinho, who started Rue Morgue, um, Barbara Crampton, Don Coscarelli, um, and we still have stuff to shoot still. We still want to do a little bit of traveling, uh, which is why we're trying to raise money. And you also, according to the list here, you also got uh, Ben Wheatley and Eli Roth, too? That's right. Ben Wheatley, Eli Roth, uh, Alex Adja is going to be in the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, Big fan. Yeah, Ben was great to talk to because he's got a very sort of uh, wry uh, way about him. He kind of smiles out of the corner of his mouth when he's talking. And, uh, and he's, you know, he seems to, to have the whole thing, this whole, this whole horror craziness really sort of, He's got his own. He's got his own view of it, and it's really interesting and uh, enlightening to have spoken with him. Have you checked out um, a field in England? Have you seen that? I haven't. No, I. It was playing here at uh, the Toronto International Film Festival, and I haven't seen it. But that's it's on the list. I loved Kill yeah. List. Speaking of lists, oh, um, yeah. Kill List was just just uh, just a nightmare <laughs> of a movie. It, yeah, just a disturbing, unpredictable, uh, incredible, strange fever dream of a movie now i want to talk about what what you were discussing just previously about the horror community because i think mm -hmm. that that is a huge part of the the genre of horror i mean i i go to i go to a convention in orlando every year and it's this giant horror convention and the thing about horror is that it seems like horror above all other genres of film video games whatever has this such a tight-knit uh, yeah. loyal community of fans would that is that something that you've observed over the years most definitely i mean we don't we don't really have the genre cachet that other uh genres might have you know star wars doesn't need a support system uh, holding yeah. it up horror does you know um and you could you could uh, you could go on and on with sort of uh, all the stuff that you know the, the more popular uh fan type of of movements and horror doesn't really have a system in place so you you got to do it yourself you got to start your own horror club in your town and watch it grow and um and 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 that's and that's why that that has come to be i also wanted to go back to a thing that you mentioned about how horror fans are not especially into death or they're, they're not they don't have the kind of morbid uh fixation that people might think that they have uh for mm-hmm. you are there certain films that you tend to avoid like particularly gruesome or maybe films that seem too real like i'm thinking of something like um like henry or maybe maybe henry or like necromantic yeah. or like of films that just are like no i'm not into that um yeah kind of i mean i'm my personal taste definitely more lie towards the fantastic 
so I'm a zombie movie fan. Um, I know that <laughs> that all the kids are doing that now, but uh, really it's been something that's been a big part of my life for 25 years or so now. Um, but, um, yeah, I would say stuff that's, you know, uh, true crime-based uh, isn't, isn't so much my bag, which isn't to say that I don't watch it, but I definitely don't gravitate towards it like I would with other kind of films. Um, the Snowtown, uh, when Snowtown came out, a friend of mine saw it and said, oh, my God, you've got to see this movie. You'll be depressed for two weeks. Now, that's not <laughs> necessarily what I look for in a movie-watching uh, experience. Um, um, and, I, and I don't uh, fault anybody for, for that kind of stuff, and I, I think that there are several films of that nature that are very good. Like I mentioned Henry already, which I think is a great movie, but I have no need to revisit it. Um, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, I don't know. That, that, that's how it is for me, anyway. I, I like more fantasy-based stuff, personally. Um, and I definitely sort of don't necessarily gravitate to more reality-based kind of films. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. I mean, I just uh, I just reviewed a, a movie called My Name is A by Anonymous, which is a very micro-budget, incredibly disturbing horror film by a, a director named Shane Ryan. Mm-hmm. And it, it made me, just because I watched it so recently, it just made me think about the type of horror movies that I like. Yeah. And the the type that really just get under my skin that I just can't get behind. Like uh, a Serbian film is a good example mm-hmm. of that where I, I actually haven't seen that movie. I've seen certain clips of it yeah. and I know enough about it to know like, no, nah, that's, yeah. that's not my thing. Not your vibe. I, I really like the uh, Serbian film for one reason or another. I saw it with an audience uh, in a theater mm-hmm. and I think that, uh, <laughs> You know, had I been watching it alone, like I watched Irreversible by myself at two in the morning uh, years ago, and I couldn't, I, I still can't wash the experience off my skin, you know. Uh, a Serbian film, it somehow goes just a little too far, so that mm-hmm. it almost is like, okay, this is getting a little silly now. You don't want to necessarily call a Serbian film silly and uh, hope to appear sane in certain companies, but, uh, but yeah, um, I, 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 yeah, I, I think you know what I'm saying because I, I definitely know what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk about some of maybe your favorite horror movies of the year, some highlights. I mean, being being that it's Halloween, people are probably going to be looking for some new horror movies to watch this season. What what were maybe some of the highlights for you this year? Um, there's a film out of Argentina called Here Comes the Devil. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's out on on. Blu-ray DVD at this point. Um, it's fantastic. It's uh, if you like the sort of uh, '80s Euro stuff, '70s and '80s Euro stuff. It's really in that vein. It kind of reminds me of uh, you know a film that the, the film that Mario Bava would have made after Shock. You know, um, definitely has that vibe to it. Uh, I saw The Green Inferno. Eli Roth's The Green Inferno, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a fan of Roth. You'll really like it, and if not, you will probably just scratch your head. But I will say that the gore is absolutely outrageous. Um, and if you're familiar with the sort of reference points that uh, Ross touches on, then you will definitely have a smile on your face seeing certain scenes recreated uh, from the Cannibal Classics for the Green Inferno, albeit yeah, uh, you know, with with his own touch. Uh, so that's that's kind of like his homage to like 
Cannibal Ferox or Cannibal Holocaust. Oh yeah, totally. He even he credits all those movies in the credits, like saying, "Hey, you know, if you like Green Inferno, look at watch all these, you know, goofy Italian movies that I uh, cribbed from." Um, I would imagine that there's a lot less animal killing in uh, Green Inferno, though. That's what's interesting about it is that uh, I don't want to give uh, too much away here, but there's one scene in Cannibal Holocaust. It's the scene that people talk about that was sort of replaces one of the animals with a human almost shot for shot. Uh, and it's like, you, you know, oh, yeah. if you've seen Cannibal Holocaust, uh, you'll know <laughs> what I'm talking about once you see the Green Inferno. Yeah, I know exactly. Unfortunately, I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, there you go. So it's like, you know, instead of a uh, poor creature there, it's a less innocent human in, in where, where a turtle should be. There, I said it. Spoiler. <laughs> Animal killing on screen is always rough. Yeah, yeah. I'm not so, I'm not so down with that. I remember when I was, uh, I guess, would have been 92, I used to work in this alternative video store here in Toronto, and uh, the 92 Christmas party, the uh, boss gave me a big box VHS of uh, Make Them Die Slowly. And uh, mm-hmm. it took me, like, and then I refused to see Cannibal Holocaust after that. You know, uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to bother. And then eventually I did, and, and I love it. But I can't, it's, it's, yeah, there's no, there's no place for that, really. It happened, so you can watch it now, knowing that it happened, and it was part of a crazy time of filmmaking. But... You know, if that sort of trend pops up again, I'm out. You know, I'm not into that at all. I yeah, and I can't see that happening. Yeah, I just, no, I, no way. I, yeah, me neither. Any other big highlights for the year? Uh, what did I see? You know, you see so much that uh, that it kind of all blends together. Did you see the Maniac remake? Oh yeah, I like that a lot. I like Maniac. Yeah, I thought a lot. I was surprised. I was surprised by that one. I'm a big fan of POV was... movies. I'm a big fan of uh, inner monologue kind of in- movies, where you can hear mm-hmm. uh, when you can hear the thoughts of someone who's slowly starting to uh, lose their grip on reality. You know, films like Taxi Driver and yeah, yeah, absolutely. I thought one of the interesting things they did in that movie was the fact that the entire movie was POV, but yeah. when he actually killed someone, it, it pulled out. Yeah, Almost yeah. As if he was looking at himself, you know, from yeah. from afar. I thought that that was such an interesting uh, dynamic. What about um, one of my favorites? Is a little indie film called Resolution. Have you checked this one yeah, out? Yeah, I saw Resolution uh, last year at the Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal, and I was very impressed by that. Uh, what a what a fa- fascinating conceit uh, uh, that uh, you know you you get a you get a knock on the door and. Uh, and there's a tape there, and you put the tape in the player, and it's like someone was watching you, like literally 30 seconds before, kind of thing. Like just so freaky yeah. and uh, and really well done. I mean, for a two-hander, it was pretty exceptional. Uh, the mileage they got from from you know the relationship between the two characters. I thought it was really really interesting. Really good movie. I yeah. definitely recommend it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm just trying to think. There, there were some lowlights too. I mean, I didn't like the Evil Dead remake. Not that you asked, but <laughs> I'm offering my well, opinion on the Evil Dead remake because I didn't like it. I, I saw that at the uh, South by Southwest premiere with yeah. everybody there and everything, and that was that was an interesting experience because uh, I, when I saw it there with the audience and and like the whole cast there, I loved it. And then I saw it again in my local multiplex, and it was like the the town where I'm from is just they didn't get it. 
and it was like dead silent the whole time. Yeah, and it, the, the experience was like completely different. Yeah, viewing it, viewing it in that atmosphere. Yeah, I didn't didn't appreciate it nearly as much. That was like the first uh, the the first hostel I saw at the world premiere here in Toronto, and people were going crazy, and I was going crazy, and I thought it was uh, you know tons of fun, and and I, I don't dislike hostel. Uh, but I, I definitely couldn't see it through the same eyes on, on repeated viewings. You know, I do like I do like Hostel quite a bit, but I was freaking out when I first saw it, and then I watched it again on DVD a couple months after it came out, and I thought, wait a minute, this is not the same at all. <laughs> Any other ones that you would tell people to avoid this this holiday? I don't want to. <laughs> it's hard. Like The Conjuring, I didn't love. Um, wow. I, I thought that it was the same haunted house movie that I've seen a thousand times before. It was basically like, I don't know, in a remake of insidious, which is a remake of poltergeist in a way, you know, I, I it was okay. You know, a, a lot of those movies are very much technique over concept. You know, you know, you know that there's a ghost and that they're trying to warn the house, the people in the house or do something to them. And then, you know, wheel in the psychic wheel in the, uh, the guys with the spectrometers and you know, it's, you see it over and over again. And, um, and as much as I like James Wan as a filmmaker and I really do, um, I just am kind of getting tired of that old, that old, that old, uh, chestnut, you know? Well, that was exactly how I felt about insidious chapter two. Yeah. I was, which I haven't seen. I was not, I was not on board with that one whatsoever. Yeah. Have you checked out, uh, curse of Chucky? Uh, no, no. A friend of mine recommended it saying it's fucking dark is what, is what his, his review was. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> it, they, they kind of do away with the tongue and cheek comedy of the, the last two and yeah. go back to the roots. But, uh, it, it's pretty interesting. If you're into the original child's play series, I would say might want to check it out. I don't know if I'm necessarily into the original Child's Play series. I did. I saw the first couple of them theatrically when they came out. And, um, you know, the late 80s were uh, a weird time for theatrical horror. Anyway, as it, as it became the 90s and it was more joke-based and, you know, charming personality-based mm-hmm. than actually trying to scare you. So um, you'll forgive me if I haven't seen the last couple of Chuckies, but... Uh, a couple of people now have recommended the new one to me, so don't see why I wouldn't watch it. Yeah, it's it's um it's worth like a rental, you know. Yeah, like video on demand or whatever. Sure. Like, what what is your now? You mentioned before that you kind of like the the fantastical horror movies. What is, what is your favorite kind of subgenre of horror? It's got to be zombies. I got to go with zombies. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily the most consistent genre, uh, but my favorite films are zombie movies. You know, yeah, and me it's, too, actually. It, it's like it, it's hard to watch now. And I'm a Walking Dead fan. I'm uh, I'm definitely into that show. So it kind of uh, kind of gives me something to do every week in that sort of uh, vein. It reminds me a lot of Day of the Dead, actually, The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do like I do like my zombies, man. I'm not gonna lie. But my t- my tastes really go pretty wide. Truth be told, the first website I ever ran was a zombie website that was focused on everything zombie. So what was it, what was it def- called? It was called Zombie Net, and it was nice. uh, it ran f- it ran for like a year and a half. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I absolutely love everything zombie. I like the the horror, uh, the survival aspects mm-hmm. of it. I think that that's what really pulls me into that. Yeah, but um, 
Yeah, me too. We actually just checked out uh, The Dead 2 India. You saw that. Screen Fest in L.A. I didn't see it, unfortunately. One of my writers did, but... What did he say? Because I, I quite like the first one. Yeah, he said that he said it was uh, it was quite good. Like yeah. we have a review up for that, and we actually were able to interview the director as well. Oh, nice! Or one of the directors. So. Nice. Yeah, I like. I'm, the, I'm pretty. The first one was cool, man. It was. Uh, it really got the atmosphere, right? You know how like what I really liked about the first one is that no matter where the the action was, off in the distance there was a zombie somewhere just kind of walking mm-hmm. along. It really gave you the impression that uh, that all this stuff was going down, which was cool. Yeah, and apparently that that movie was like incredibly hard for them to shoot. Like the the one crew member got malaria. Yeah. They got apparently they got held up at gunpoint. Oh yeah, several they, kept, times. they kept they kept having to rebuy their equipment off like mercenary squads that would steal it from them. Yeah, I mean that's that's insane. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm very interested to check out the the second one. But uh, maybe we could talk about some perks of the Kickstarter project. Yeah, we'll get back to that. So maybe we could highlight some of the different perks available. Sure. Um, I don't have all the information in front of me. You're going to have to go, uh, you know, check out our website, whyhorror.com, which will bring you to a link to the Kickstarter campaign. But we got T-shirts and DVDs and a friend of mine, uh, Gary Pullen, who, uh, who does a lot of poster art, did, did up a, a little teaser poster for us. So uh, one of the perks is you get a poster, a, uh, a conversation with me on the phone. I know... Uh, I know you can hardly resist that, and you're getting you're getting one for free right now, so it's pretty good. Um, go. <laughs> um, we're about to add a new perk, um, which is a kind of a, a little local tour with me on uh, famous shooting locations in Toronto. You'll get to see the house where uh, where Black Christmas was filmed, and the uh, the, the building uh, that was a sort of media office and uh, video drome and shooting locations of Land mm-hmm. of the Dead. Uh, and you know, we tootle around for an afternoon and talk horror and check out these things and go eat some guts somewhere. Great. And also, uh, the other one that I'm seeing here is uh pass to the, to TIFF 2014, which I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in, especially with the midnight madness. Yeah, that's uh, right. Series. You get a midnight madness pass, which is, uh, such an incredibly fun festival that I've been going to for, you know, a dozen years that, uh, it's really ground zero for a lot of the stuff you're going to hear about later in the year. A lot of really uh, important deals get inked at that at that uh, festival. So to be there where it starts is, uh, I got to say, from personal experience, a really really great perk. Have you? Unfortunately, we weren't able to get to TIFF this year. But mm-hmm. did you? Were there any highlights? I know you mentioned Green Inferno. Yep. Any highlights from the Midnight Madness series? Uh, I really liked uh, Mike Flanagan's Oculus. Uh, Mike Flanagan, yeah, the director I, of Absentia, which I, which is a total sleeper hit, which I loved. Uh, mm-hmm. Oculus is uh, quite creepy, quite well made, um, almost human, uh, made by mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> Joe Vegas and uh, and uh, a, a bunch of other dudes, and um, that was really cool. That was very much like uh, sort of Terminator meets Invasion of the Body Snatchers meets The Thing. Yeah. extra uh these like young dudes you know 25 26 years old uh who made a really solid horror movie and are showing it all over the world right now so uh i'm pretty sure ifc picked that up and you'll be able to see it uh through them yep i think you're right um i liked all cheerleaders die the lucky mckee flick um mm-hmm. let's see uh alex de la glazia's uh, witching and bitching was uh typical insanity from that director um hmm. 
and uh, you know, I was doing a lot of shooting for this, <laughs> so I didn't get uh, I didn't get to enjoy the festival as I normally would. I was actually working quite a bit, shot uh, twelve or fifteen interviews over the course of the festival. That's where we that's where we talked to Ben Wheatley and uh, oh, cool. Eli Ross and Alex Adja, who was here with Horns, which wasn't part of the uh, Midnight Madness program. Uh, I think that was like a Vanguard, maybe. That's right. It was in the Vanguard program, which is programmed by the same guy that programs Midnight Madness. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of kind of crossover. A lot of the Vanguard stuff looks like it is more dark and edgy and that type of thing. So, yeah, it definitely um, acts as kind of a spillover from the Midnight Madness kind of thing. Yeah, Less madness, I mean, de- definitely. I would say. All the ones that you mentioned are ones that I was particularly interested in. And I mm-hmm. also wanted to see uh, Why Don't You Play in Hell? That yeah. was one that really interested me. About I heard that, nothing but good sh- things, man. I heard everybody buzzing about that one. And I thought, darn, what a movie to miss of yeah, all I the think, movies. Um, was it, I, I think maybe Draft House Films picked that up. Yeah, could be. I think they did. They were definitely here yeah, looking I'm, for I'm, stuff. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in that one as well. So. All right, well, uh, again, the film is Why Horror, funding now on Kickstarter. Uh, you have a $30,000 goal. That's Canadian, right? That's right. And you have 24 days to go. So uh, we'll be sure to put the links in the show notes and all that fun stuff. So, yes, Tal, thank definitely. you so much for taking some time to talk with us. My pleasure, man. Thanks so much for uh, reaching out and uh, letting me babble about horror. Thanks again, Tal. Be sure to hit the link in the show notes and donate to Why Horror today. All right, let's get into some of what we've been watching. I had a pretty big week. Let me let me tell you about this week, Kevin. This is good. Good times. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with nothing but horror because it's it's Halloween. I love this time of year. You know, the the seasons changing, the leaves are changing. There's a little chill in the air. Time for some horror movies. Got totally burnt out like two days in. Oh, and that's not good. I, I had to I had to have some palate cleansers in there. Oh. Yeah. So didn't didn't do all horror, but I did see a lot of stuff. Started off with a nightmare on Elm Street three, the Dream Warriors. I'm sorry. A nightmare on Elm Street three, Dream Warriors. There's no the. No the. They're just they're just there. Yeah, now this is uh, kind of an ongoing project I'm doing this Halloween. I'm watching all of the Nightmare on Elm Streets in order. Yeah. And I've been watch I've been watching about two two a week. So I'm on part three and this is the one see I haven't seen a lot of these later ones. I think I only saw part one, two, and then the last one. So this was I was excited to watch this because this is the one where the group of kids actually band together and go into the dream world and set out to fight Freddy. This one stars Patricia Arquette, along with John Saxon, who is in the first one as well, and uh, Heather Langenkamp, who's in the first one. It's pretty good. I mean, it was certainly better than part two. I really didn't like part two. This was a lot better. Yeah. <clears throat> not Not a whole lot to say about it if you're into nightmare on elm street check it out seems to be one of the better ones but i can't really judge it against a lot of the other ones because i haven't seen many of them so we'll have to wait and see where how it stacks up against the rest of the series i think this is something that i'm gonna have to revisit as well yeah like i haven't seen nightmare on elm street since i was like a preteen 
The maybe. first the, the first one's still great. Like I stand by that. Like the effects work and stuff in the first one is still really good and hold, a lot of it holds up for the most part. Some of it doesn't, but you know, early very early role by Johnny Depp in the first one. Which is always interesting to see. Does he play a quirky character? He plays the boyfriend. Is he strange and quirky? No, he's not. He's he's uh, a cool guy. Uh, so. Darn it. Yeah, I followed that up with Clear and Present Danger, starring yeah. Harrison Ford. Fuck yeah, you did. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I never saw this movie before. Well, what the fuck is wrong with you? I don't know. Because this movie is the shit. It is the shit. I actually like this a lot. What I'm doing this, is... This I, is honestly one, one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid. I loved this movie so much. I, I loved it when they said... It poses a clear and present danger That's in right. the movie, and I was like, "Oh shit!" I whatever happened to the titular line? That used to know. be like they, a whole thing, like you would just wait for the entire movie for them to say yeah. it. They, they don't do, do, they do it do anymore. It, they do it sometimes. I can't remember the last one I saw that that I had was, that. I was waiting for it, and we are what we are. It's just waiting for someone to say we are what we are. It seems like yeah, that seems Damn. like it should have happened. Damn it! Missed an opportunity there. You sure did. So what I did this week was I rewatched the all the Jack Ryan series, I guess. With the new one coming out, I wanted to refresh myself on these movies. And I don't think I'm the only person, but I did not know, at least up until maybe a year ago, that all these movies were the same character. <laughs> like, I had no idea. I thought that they were just all separate. So I wanted to watch them all, so I did. And... uh I liked them all pretty much. Some of all fears was not great. Oh, we need Ryan back. I know he loves some of all fears. He was all about that. But I did, I did watch all of them. So I watched Clear and Present Danger, Patriot Games, Hunt for Red October, and Some of All Fears. Nice. Yeah, I was a huge fan of Clear and Present Danger and Patriot Games. Yeah, they're they're both pretty great. And I have not rewatched them because I'm afraid that I'm not going to like them. They hold up. Let me so tell I, you. I don't want to sully that. I just love the the whole rocket launcher scene with the SUVs. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Mm-mm. Oh man! <laughs> I'm gonna watch some watch some clear and present danger, and then Patriot Games, and then followed up with the Last Boy Scout. Oh, Last Boy Scout! Yeah, just I could, I'd like to through my childhood. Oh man, I'm so excited now. Yeah, these are all these are all good. Hunt for Red October is really good too. Like. Not too long ago, I revisited um, Crimson Tide, and I like that a lot, too. So, yeah, those are two movies that I don't remember anything about. Yeah, see, I forgot. I did see Hunt for Red October years ago, and I f- forgot everything about it. So when I rewatched it, it was it was pretty great. I mean, in that one, Alec Baldwin plays Jack Ryan, and it was, it was a white-knuckle thrill ride. Oh, yeah. For some reason, submarine movies... It's like a, it's like they have to be white knuckle thrill rides. I'm just, I'm surprised they haven't come back yet. No, they really haven't. They really. Haven't. I I have. I'm gonna lay out a prediction right now that next year is gonna be the year of the submarine movies. The resurgence of the submarine mm-hmm. movies. I mean, you're not gonna see them. You're just gonna hear a lot of a lot of news. Mm. Bunch of submarine movies getting greenlit. I can mm. feel it. Okay, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Either way, like, these movies are really hard for me to kind of criticize because they're just, 
like as I was watching them, I was just like, oh, there's nothing really bad to say about them. I mean, they they're not like mind blowing or anything, but they're <clears> just <throat> they just felt like they were so of their time. They're just they're great Hollywood action films that are not uh, put it frankly, they're not stupid. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like <laughs> they're they're actually quite complex in the story. Like there's all kinds of twists and turns. There's, there's <clears throat> you know people double crossing each other. There's different governments going against each other, and it's fun because you. It's so rare that you see those types of movies nowadays because oh, now yeah. now it's Hollywood's all, just obsessed with explosions. Now. Yeah, it's it's all about like the born the born series, you know, where it's just ninety percent action, ten percent kind of political thriller. Yeah, but yeah, I definitely recommend going back because they do they do really hold up, like the effects work and stuff like that really yes. holds up over time. <laughs> then I saw My Name Is A by Anonymous, which is. This was a film submitted to us, and it's pretty disturbing. Uh, I'll say that right off the bat. <laughs> it's about it's based on a true story about the murder of a young girl, and it is sort of an art house film in the same vein as Harmony Corinne. So you can probably imagine the dark places it goes. Yeah. It's about it, it's told in chapters and. There's three sets of characters, and it kind of goes over the lives of each of these characters. They're all girls, and they all have very terrible lives. Uh, a lot of them, a few of them are being sexually abused by their fathers. One of them is bulimic, and you get to see that in all its glory. And I think she might be bulimic in real life, so that yeah. makes it even worse. Yeah. And it's it's a really, really hard movie to get through. There's a lot of artistic flourishes that the director, Shane Ryan, uses in the film that I appreciated. But at the same time, it's like he, he just throws everything into this. Like, everything that you can imagine. Like, sometimes he flips the camera upside down. Sometimes the aspect ratio changes. He uses different cameras. Like, sometimes he'll use, um, like, a, like, a snap... Um, like a point-and-shoot camera in video mode. Yeah. Uh, he, he just he uses all different cameras. He puts all these different filters on it. He'll flip it upside down. He does, like, weird framing choices. Like, it's just like he wanted to throw everything. All the art house indie <laughs> tropes are in this movie. Everything. Oh, that's what I like to hear. Some of it worked. Some of it didn't. There were certain, which is really funny, because the movie is really inconsistent in that in that way. Like it, it one scene you'll see it and you'll be like, "Wow, that looks really great," and then the next scene you're just like, "Ugh, it's horrible." <laughs> like there's one scene where it's essentially a music video. It's just one of the characters singing in front of a microphone for literally the whole song. So it's like four minutes of her just singing this song. Sounds like a uh, filler. Yeah, it is. I think it is filler, but the song is really beautiful, and she's a great singer, and uh, she's uh, a Russian singer and model, I think, in real life. And so the song is beautiful. The way that it's shot looks really good, but the whole time you're just like, why is this in here? I, like, I didn't... It felt pointless to me. I mean, you, I understand the singing wanting to put that in there because she's called the performer. That's her character name. Yeah. 
but to have the whole song in there seems unnecessary. So I, it's really hard for me to recommend this movie. And also I read that there was quite a backlash around this movie with the the family and friends of the girl that was actually killed. Mm. Because the movie doesn't focus on the, the girl, the victim. It focuses on the killers. And in real life, there was actually only one killer. It was one girl that killed another girl. But in this movie, it's actually four, four girls. And I think sure. my guess, and a lot of this movie can be interpreted different ways. You know, it's, it's that kind of movie. My yeah. guess is that the director took this one girl and kind of took the personality traits of this girl and split it up into four different characters. So essentially, it's these four characters that are acting as one. Oh, I can't. Clever. Well, I mean, that's just what I took from it. It mm, might not gotcha. be. It might not be that at all. But yeah. th- that's gotcha. what I took away from it. So, my name is A by Anonymous. It, not out yet on DVD or VOD, but I think it's going to be coming out sometime soon. It, just be aware that it is extremely hard to watch. You, you've been warned. Yes. Uh, another movie that I watched that was pretty hard to, to get through was Abel Ferrara's The Driller Killer. The Driller Killer? Yeah, this uh, I picked this for my Grindhouse Weekly, and this is this is a tough movie to get through. This came out in 1979, extremely low-budget movie. This is one of his very first movies, and it stars him. He stars in it as well. And basically, it's about an artist in New York City who kind of goes crazy and starts killing people with a power drill. Thus becoming the driller killer? Yep. I I saw there's it's interesting because when I was writing the article, I I briefly wrote like if you've seen the 1980 version of Maniac or American Psycho, you'll see a lot of similarities in this and it made me think like actually there's a ton of similarities between this and American Psycho. Mm. It's it's both both movies take place in New York in this around the same time period the only difference is that this movie takes place in kind of the gritty underbelly of new york and the other one takes place in the upper class wall street area of new york yeah but are they both still obsessed with huey lewis in the news well that's the interesting thing so are they patrick bateman is obsessed with 80s pop you know like the Mm -hmm. kind of upbeat fun yuppie type music but the character in this movie is into punk rock so he's into like the dirty gritty grimy type of rock music that was popular at the time so they just made american psycho a bizarro the driller killer yeah i mean it's very similar like in american psycho he starts by killing homeless people same thing as in this movie they both have a penchant for power tools Okay, okay. And just just the the overall personality traits of both people are, are very similar. Like, they kind of go crazy for no real reason, no good reason. You know, they just, they just go crazy. Like, just their lives make them go crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's very similar. Followed that up with Toy Story of Terror, which was the special that aired on ABC this week. I like this a lot. I didn't think I was going to think too much of it, because normally these either straight-to-video or TV sequels or whatever you want to call them 
are pretty generic, you know? Like, they, ne- they mm-hmm. never really have the same quality as the movies. Yeah. But this one does. I mean, they, they got the whole voice cast from all the other Toy Story movies. So you have Tim Allen and Tom Hanks, Michael Keaton, Joan Cusack, Carl Weathers is in it. And he plays uh, a, an action figure named Combat Carl. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's pretty great. I mean, I was surprised. Like, the the level, the quality of the animation is on par with anything we've seen from Pixar. And the story is really fun. It's it's a short story. It's only, like, 20 minutes long. But I definitely recommend it. If you're into the Toy Story movies. Yeah, this is the one time that I really wish I had TV. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really good. You should definitely check that out. Not too much <laughs> to say about it. I mean, it is... It's Toy Story. Yeah, it's Toy Story. Which means it's awesome. It's And obviously it has a Halloween feel to it, which is really funny because the one the one character, I can't remember his name, I think his name is Prickle Pants, <laughs> <laughs> is he's just going over all of the horror movie cliches and like everything is happening as he's saying them and they're kind of in their own little horror story, which is, it's really fun. It's very good. Uh, then I saw Jean-Luc Godard's Breathless. Wow, that seems completely out of place. I told you, I, needed, <laughs> I was needing. A, I was definitely in need of some palate cleanser. I like. I like how the only time that you go to French New Wave is as a palate cleanser. Yeah, that's I find palate, that odd. That's my palate cleanser. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I've been meaning. I've been meaning to watch this for a long time, and I just. I don't know for whatever reason I was never in the mindset. And I was like, you know what? It's I'm in the mood. I'm in the mood for some French New Wave. Let's do it. <laughs> and I liked it a lot. It, it was. I guess I was a little disappointed because this is one of these movies where it's just got so much hype around it. Yeah. You know, everybody's like, oh, it's one of the greatest movies ever made. And and <clears> I, I was a little disappointed. I don't know what I was expecting. It's it would one of the main things that's difficult about it is it's like the context. Like in the 60s, you know, 1960, when this film came out and the French New Wave came out, it was just like a completely new way of making a movie. Like they had this whole blueprint of how they made movies that was completely different than anyone's seen. So when you watch it now, I mean, the movie itself, even though it's great, there's not a lot in it that like blows you away. No. Like story-wise or anything. Yeah, that that was kind of thing. Like it was just kind of an aimless movie. Like it's just... The the event takes place, you know, this guy kills a cop in the very beginning of the movie, and then he's on the run, and but he's not really on the run, is he? Nah, he's not just, really. He's just hanging he's, out. Dude, he's too cool to be on the run. It is a very cool movie, I'll tell you yeah. that. It is, it's a very, like, the, the, the jazz score and everything oh, yeah. that they wear... It's funny because it's it's almost it feels like it's almost timeless, you know, like the clothes mm. that they're wearing, like um, uh, what's her name? What's the the main actress's name? Um, Lead actress, Seberg. Jean mm. Seberg. Yeah, like her haircut. She she feels very like she was kind of at the forefront of the feminist movement and stuff, and. She's beautiful in this movie too. Like it's it's rare that I'm really kind of taken aback by how beautiful an actress is in a movie, but I was like completely amazed at how good she looked in this movie. <laughs> I mean she was enchanting. 
Uh oh, someone someone stole your heart. Yeah, Gene Seberg from 1960. Time traveled. <laughs> yeah, stole your heart. Unfortunately, she's dead, so can't really. Yep, nothing's gonna. I mean, I I there. didn't. It wasn't like I'm gonna go watch all her other movies now. I just felt like in this role, she was she was very uh very beautiful. She does uh she does carry the film quite well alongside Belmondo. Yeah, I mean, I I. I don't want to say I didn't like it or anything. I, I did like it quite a bit. The I thought I think it's funny how sometimes things happen in movies that force you to make a stylistic change. Like in in this case, you know, they told they told Godard that he had to cut the movie down, so he just made edits. Like he just flat out cut things, and by doing so, it basically created the style of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like all those jump cuts. I don't think. Oh yeah. Those, oh, those were, jump cuts are insane. Those were not in there before they made him cut the movie down. Yeah. I will say that like at first <clears throat> at first I thought that the jump cuts were kind of cool, but it there's so many that it got a little bit annoying. Yeah, there, there yeah, there's a decent amount. Uh, I will give you that. Cuz I had sort of the same thing too. Like at first you're like, "Holy shit, this is amazing. It's so creative. I love the style." And then, like, as further along as the movie goes, you're like, okay, jump cuts. All right. Sort yeah, of wearing we, out. You're welcome pretty quickly here. Yeah, it's it's still it's still great, though, and I highly recommend seeing it on Criterion because it looks amazing. Oh, yeah. So definitely check that out if you have, and especially if you're, if you're a fan of, like, the history of cinema. Oh, yeah. Must. I mean, they create an entirely new outline of how to make a film dirt cheap and make a shit ton of money doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Breathless, check it out. Follow that up with Escape Plan. It's the new one with Mr. Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. You know, I didn't hate this as much as I thought I would. I like 80s action movies, and this is an 80s action movie. I mean, it takes place today and everything, but this is an 80s action movie. (laughs) It's got terrible acting, terrible dialogue. The story is utterly ridiculous, but at the same time, it's just really fun, and you know, I enjoyed it. I, I don't, I didn't not like it. I was entertained by it. Yeah, it was fun to see Arnold and, and Stallone in a starring role together. You know, we we saw them briefly in the Expendables movies, but he, but Arnold's in so little of those <laughs> movies. Yeah, and I will say. That his acting's starting to get a little bit better. Oh, shit. Like, it's definitely better than... What was the last one he was in? The Last Stand? Definitely yeah. better than that. Still not good. Still not there, good. Though. Getting there. He's it, working on it. It's funny, because I was thinking about... He was never a good actor. Let's no. Let's get that out of the way. But it's like his acting abilities, like, spiked. You know, like, when he was doing Conan and... His really early stuff, he was pretty bad. But then, like, he eventually started getting pretty good. And then when he stopped acting, it kind of dropped off. Now he's got to get back up there. Again. Well, he's, he's rusty. He's rusty, yeah. man. Yeah. He's getting back into the swing of things, though. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely better in this than that. But with a movie that features Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Fifty Cent, can you expect? Yeah. <laughs> can you expect a lot? No. No, you don't. You shouldn't. Well, I like I like prison movies, and I like 
movies that involve prison breaks even more. So it was kind of fun. Right light, up your alley. I'd say it's a light recommend for fans of action films. Uh, and then finally, I saw Ghost Team 1, which is uh, playing on demand right now. Found footage, horror comedy. We talked about this before, and you made fun of me saying that I was probably going to see it, and I did. <laughs> and you probably did not like it, am I correct? Uh, no, I didn't like it. I didn't like it, but it did make me laugh. I gave it a 2 out of 5 on Letterboxd because there were several moments that made me laugh out loud, and those were pretty much just little throwaway lines. It's a very crude movie, and that's why I recommended it to Ryan. (laughs) Uh. Very crude, a lot of, I mean, very racist, too. Like, okay. it, it, it goes to some pretty racist levels in a fun way. Like, I don't, I, I don't think that it'd be offensive. They use, I don't know, maybe some, maybe some Asian people would have a problem with this movie. It's just, so it's just, it's racist, but in a fun way. Like in a fun Well, they even pointed out, way. like they even okay. pointed out and like the one guy's like, dude, that's racist. And, you know, it's, I think that you can get away with poking fun at different races if it's a comedy you know, like if it's done in jest, I think that it gets more of a pass. I, think I know it that depends on what, what what you're poking fun at. Yeah, like in this in this case, it was making fun of Asian people, and there was a scene where a white guy dresses up like she, he gets possessed by a Vietnamese geisha. Okay, and so he basically has on yellow face, sort of. Okay. And he like talks and he, he actually his his voice reminds me of Miss Swan from Mad TV. Okay. And was that racist? Was the Miss Miss Swan sketches on Mad TV racist? A little bit. I say a little bit. But you didn't. I don't think you probably read any reviews condemning Mad TV for being racist. Why? Well, Whereas if you read Maybe. Mike D'Angelo's Dissolve review, he gave it an 18 out of 100. <laughs> I just, call- I, wanted, I want to know where the 18 comes from. That's the first thing that I want to know. He called it appallingly racist. Where does, like, how do you come upon 18? I don't fucking know. <laughs> uh, 18. That just seems like you're picking it out of a hat. I'm not, I don't mean to, That that's just the only review that I saw of this movie, so I don't mean to pick on that review, and I think that 18 out of 100 is a completely justifiable score. It's definitely, like, I wouldn't call it a, I only gave it a 2, and like I said, it was just because it made me laugh several times, and I think that there is some talent here at work. Like, the, the comedy, I think, it just gets muddled by this kind of goofball uh, frat boy humor. Mm. But I think yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Well, again, that's why I recommended it to Ryan. I think he'll find it very funny. Uh, that's that's all I got. <laughs> well, actually, uh, we are what we are, as well. Oh, I guess we'll just wait until I get to that. Yeah. Is that what we're gonna do? That's fine. All right. Uh, I finally watched The Conjuring. Conjuring. Yeah. Uh, you know as well as anyone that I'm a huge James Wan fan, hmm. which is me joking. 
Um, I was excited for this. I truly was. I thought it it has to be better than Insidious, just from the way you know everyone sort of reacted to it when it first came out. But I also had this expectation that it was going to be something different because that's what I heard from a lot of people. And the only way that it's different for me, which I like this idea, is that it starts out as a haunted house movie and then switches gears halfway through and seamlessly goes into a exorcism movie. Mm, mm-hmm. I like having those two together. Makes sense. Uh, for the most part, it's not it's not stupid. You know, there is some intellectual thought here. I mean, you can sort of pick apart the the story a little bit but for the most part it's not your standard uh horror film where it's just huge gaping plot holes here and there so it's actually pretty well written it it looks nice the cinematography is nice uh, you know the production design is nice everything looks of the time period but honestly it's just more the same for me like i, I wasn't scared at all the, the haunted house portion had like a small number of jump scares that again were just lazy. I mean, clapping ghost is not scary to me, or like a ball bouncing, that type of thing. Like none of that got to me. And it, the the worst part is is that Insidious, like in the beginning, before it just deteriorated into just a joke, like it had a good atmosphere to it. Like I was generally creeped out in the beginning of Insidious. So I thought like, oh, that's what I'm gonna get with The Conjuring, but I didn't get any of that. And then when it goes into the exorcism part, I thought I thought that was just downright terrible. I mean, all they do is like the flipping chair thing, and that's it. Uh, the the scene when he goes and she's in like the crawl space or whatever, I thought that was pretty creepy. Um, I didn't find this to be that scary either, which I was uh, maybe it was because I was expecting it to be just the most terrifying thing I've ever seen, yeah. mainly because it's rated R. You know, and this is like the first movie that's been rated R just because of which I, I because like I said, remember when this first came out and I said that that was all a marketing ploy. I don't think it I don't I'm pretty sure it was because this was not terrifying at all. They not even close to being an R rated movie because of how scary it is. Unless we've become a nation of sissies. But it's not I don't think it's a marketing ploy because it's not smart for them to do that. I mean, when you make. When you make an R-rated movie, you're pretty much guaranteeing that a large portion of the income is going to be cut. Especially, I mean, that's why a lot of these horror movies are PG-13 to begin with, because you get the whole yeah, but, preteen with, crowd coming in. Well, number one, most of those people are still going to get into this film. Number two, you're going to make up for it in your DVD sales and rentals. Yeah, And I don't think they really lose that much. And it, I mean, it's a cheap marketing ploy. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I mean, honestly, it's just I was thoroughly disappointed, and I'm just completely surprised. Like I, like me and you were talking off air, is like a horror's gotten so bad that like if a mediocre film comes out, we just lose our shit because we're in desperate need of good horror, and it's just not there. And I think that's what happened with The Conjuring. We were just sort of like, okay, it looks nice. Uh, it has some decent scares in it. And it's not written by, like, an eight-year-old child. Yay. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. 
but I think that <clears throat> horror movies are hard. They're hard to make. Like as as many as we have that come out every year, and a lot of them are like first time filmmakers and extremely low budget and blah blah blah. I think making a horror movie is hard because the the thing about a horror movie is that it's meant to scare you. And if it's all been done before, how are you going to come up with something new? Like in horror movies, how are you going to make something that is genuinely new? And like, I think that that's really hard to do. And I'm not saying that it hasn't been done. And I think a lot of the good horror that's coming out is coming out of the indie scene. I mean, not like why well, I think that's the thing. You got to start looking at it differently. You know, you got to come up with something different. You can't I, I, to me this the conjuring is just cookie cutter. Like as soon as the one kid had you know, she's laying in bed and she gets her legs pulled from I was just like, "Oh my god, we're just going to rehash everything that's been done for like the last I don't I don't know, 6 years." Yeah, and, and I honestly I agree that there isn't a lot in this movie that hasn't been done before, but the thing is, it's done well. Like the, I liked a lot of the the look of this movie. I thought it was great. The I did, style, I did like the look of it. Just like they used a lot of really interesting camera uh, or uh, like framing choices, like the positioning of the camera. A lot of times in this movie is in really interesting places, and I did, I did enjoyed the framing. Some of the. Uh... Like the camera work, technical flourishes that they they did, where you know when she was like looking upside down underneath the bed, and yeah. how the camera flipped back up. I didn't like that, but I liked I liked the idea behind it. <laughs> I liked that he was you know trying new things. It didn't work for me, you know. Maybe it worked for other people. It didn't work for me, but I at least liked that he was showing me that he's thinking outside the box a little bit. You know, he's trying different things. It's just, unfortunately, like, story-wise and everything, I'm just like, man, this is really... Number one, it's just boring. Number two, it's just, I've seen it so many times already. Yeah, again, I, I agree, but I still thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Just leaps and bounds better than Insidious. I'll give him that. I think it's James I was, I was just best movie. But. I have to say, I just wish that he had the atmosphere from the beginning of Insidious... If he was able to bring that to The Conjuring, The Conjuring would have been much, much better. I, I might a- actually be praising that film. But I just, I didn't, the atmosphere wasn't there for me. Like, I was never worried about being scared. Not only was I not scared, but I never thought that I was going to be scared. It's like, it wasn't even a letdown. It's just yeah. I knew it wasn't going to happen right off the bat. Which think- is not good for a horror film. You don't want that. I think maybe what you need to do, like, the next time a big horror movie comes out, you need to see it in the theater. I think it's, see, wa- and that's, that's wa- my problem. Watching a it, horror movie on your 32 inch TV with I know, volume at I, three yeah. is not going to do it. I know. I know that that does take some of it out of it. But the other problem for me is that seeing it in a movie theater, I get sidetracked because I bust up laughing at people freaking out. Like I just, I can't get over it. Like more the first time we went and saw paranormal activity. Like, if that was an empty theater, I probably would have been creeped out. Because I, I liked some of the stuff that they did in it. But the fact that I have a frat boy beside me, just, like, losing his shit, I think he pissed his pants. And he's, like, half crying. <laughs> it, like, I, it takes That's... me out because I'm just laughing my ass off at this guy beside me. I think that some 
the atmosphere makes it more fun which, a lot yeah, of times. Which, which I, and also to add to that, is that's not the movie's fault. The movie was nailing it with that guy beside me, but it affected me because that guy's making me well, I think, chuckle like it, crazy. I think it's a very thin line when you, when you go... I mean, half I the time, anytime you see reaction videos of these horror movies or see reaction videos of people in haunted houses... It's like they'll jump, but then they'll immediately start laughing. You know, like it's mm-hmm. well, it's they very, do that. I think like it's a very nervous, thin... They they do that nervous laugh, like ah, yeah, <laughs> did <you> get me. <laughs> no one saw that, but that guy beside me was crying. Like he was pretty much on the verge of crying. He was hyperventilating. <laughs> he was just having a complete nervous <laughs> breakdown. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I'm not kidding. Like he was, you know, he's like your typical frat boy. It was just hilarious to me. Mm. So. Horror films are difficult to begin with. They are difficult. I'll give you that. But I just more of the same for me with The Conjuring. I but think... then I did follow it up with something awesome. Do you know what that awesome was? No. It was The Stuff. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, The Stuff. <laughs> Larry Cohen classic. Michael Moriarty. Larry... <laughs> I could honestly talk about this film for an entire day. Because it's so unbelievably great. It is great. In the sense that it's just a fucking good time. It's just, it's classic 80s. It is a horror film that's, you know, it doesn't really try and scare you. It just make you laugh, really. It's supposed to be funny. I mean, it, it is definitely a comedy. I think that yeah. it's, it's just a play off of the blob. Yes, which, I mean, the, the beginning is one of the greatest beginnings I've ever seen in a film. It, you know, the minor... Who, there's something wrong with this guy, but he's just out walking for some reason at night in the snow and just comes across the stuff, just oozing out of the ground, bubbling up, and just decides to eat it immediately. First thought that comes yeah. to his head, First I'm going to eat this. You know what? Let's eat it. It's marshmallow fluff that's coming out of the ground. I'm going to eat it. And then the fact that his co-workers are like, hey, are you taking a leak? It's like, no, nope. And they're like, oh, are you eating snow? And then he gets pissed off that they think he's eating snow. Which is fantastic. I mean, he literally is just appalled that they would even think that he would be eating snow. Because he's not. He's eating ooze that's fucking coming straight from the ground. Never seen it before. And the fact that he's able to get the other guy to try it when he walks over. And then immediately thinks that, oh, if we have enough of this, we should sell it. (laughs) That is the greatest origin story I've ever seen. It's just unbelievable. And it just keeps getting better from there. Just snowballs. Mikey Moriarty shows up. And he's automatically amazing. Yeah. And it's just the decisions he makes throughout this film is just fantastic. This guy is just the shit. I love his character so much. His character is such a badass. I, I really he, wish he, that they would make more movies with that character. He is... Uh, you know how I said Diabolic is maybe one of the biggest assholes ever? One of the coolest assholes on film? Mm-hmm. It, this, this guy might be tied. <laughs> Yeah. Michael Moriarty's Mo might be tied. It's close. It's neck and neck. Because this guy just does whatever the fuck he wants to do. He doesn't give a shit about anything. He's so laid back in his gray suit with his cowboy boots. It's just unbelievable. There's just so much going on here. And the weird thing is, is like I just thought that it was going to be this, this you know, goofy film throughout. But there's actually some really good camera work in here. I was completely surprised by it. struck me. Uh, the whole when he goes to I can't remember the town in Virginia was it like Stadler or something I can't remember like it, 
it's like the abandoned town. And number, you know, he, as soon as he gets there, that gas gas station attendant is that, like wants him to use the restroom so bad because he put a towel in there. That was so damn weird. But you know, just to him like walking down the street when he notices uh, Chocolate Chip Charlie's car, just the, like the dolly work in that was great. I loved it. And then the, the scene with in the hotel room with the stuff tries to kill him. Like the that the whole way they did that was fantastic. I had some problems with the editing in that movie. I thought that it was kind of it, it does get shoddy. weird, especially like the the effects are bad, but they're good at the same time. Like early on, like when the guy's face explodes and when the stuff comes out of his mouth yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then they start really making some weird choices at the end. Like when the stuff is filling up one room of the factory and it's uh, Jason and the girl are trying to escape. Like why Why did they green screen that? Yeah, why did know. they green screen those two in the... Why couldn't they just stand in a room filling up with stuff? Like what, is it that hard? And they just make so many of those decisions where they decide to green screen it, and it looks horrible. But I don't, I don't know why they ever made that decision in the first place. Because they do it for such small scenes that they don't need to do it at all. It's not like they're doing something insanely difficult. Yeah. But it's amazing. I agree. highly recommend it. I agree. It's so much fun. You're going to have a ridiculous amount of fun. And when Jason, the little boy, when he goes ape shit at the supermarket, and I, lo- I just love the way that it starts with that kid in the, the shopping cart, and he just grabs the stuff from him and throws it down, and then tries to run away and immediately runs into, like, a tower of cans. Yeah. <laughs> There's always got to be a tower of cans. Oh, my God, and a kid always has to run into it. And then he decides to, to hide in an empty tanker. Smart. What the fuck, kid? Are you that stupid? Oh my god. Like I said, I could talk about this shit forever. There's just so much hilarity. Yeah, go go it. go see the stuff. It's at, it's play instant on yeah, Netflix. Play, play right instant now. on you, Netflix. You will not regret this decision. Keep those expectations low and just enjoy yourself cuz you're going to have a good time. Now you got to see Cue the Winged Serpent. I know, I'm very excited for that. I just want to see Mike, more Michael Moriarty being a drunk asshole. Oh, he's, he, he, you'll get it with Cue the Winged Serpent. Fantastic. I still like this stuff better, but we'll, we'll see what you think of that when you I, really, I mean, you're telling me Larry Cohen, Michael Moriarty, a winged serpent living in New York. And oh, uh, David Carradine is in it as well. Oh, shit. You didn't, I don't know if I remember that, but come on. I'm totally in. Uh, and then I followed this up with uh, Jodorowsky's Santa Sangre. Have you seen this? No. This horror film? Well, it's just a surrealist uh, psycho. That's all it is. Hmm. It's circus folk. Well, according to this, it, uh, I'm supposed to forget everything I have ever seen. Um, sure. Sure. <laughs> it's not... Uh, well, number one, it's 1989. So this is late Jodorowsky. All right. It is surreal as all hell. It's very bizarre, experimental. Uh, but this is actually more like a straightforward narrative for him. And like I said, it's 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 psycho. It's really just psycho, except that it takes place in a circus. And his the little boy's mother uh, is a part of this like church where they pray to a saint, which was a little girl that got raped and had both of her arms cut off. Mm. So she's like totally into that. So what happens is 
is she catches her husband having sex with the tattooed woman from the circus, and she throws acid in his face and on his junk, mm. and he then cuts her arms off. And, of course, the, the little boy sees all of this, so he's damaged, as, you know, you could fathom. And the dad comes out, and he sees his dad cut his own throat and all that stuff. So, And then it takes place when he's older, and now he's attacking women left and right, killing them. Um, because he's possessed by his mother. Psycho. Like I said, it's just psycho. Uh, the the film, like the production, the art design, everything that goes into a Jodorowsky movie is, like usual, it's it's top-notch. It's just some of the best things you've ever seen. Just the creativity and the set designs and everything that they build and all the costumes that they build. It's just unbelievable how much creativity his team had back then and what they were able to do. But also, like the problem that most of his films have is that he just wears out his welcome. Because mm. it's just it's like over two, two hours long and it, it really starts to drag in the middle. I mean, just mind-numbingly boring in the middle, and you just can't wait for it to be over. And then when it finally gets to the end, they do sort of the uh, the twist ending, if you want to call it that. It's like, oh, the ending's good, but you just have to sit through so much boredom in the middle that I have a feeling that most people get lost by the time it gets to the end. They just don't care anymore, because I was on the verge of not caring at all. I essentially, when the ending came, I was just like, oh, yeah, that was pretty good. And I was just so happy that it was done. Yes. But it would, one of the main things is, is it's now I understand uh, Only God Forgives a little bit more. Like, I understand him, like, looking at his hands all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. Because that's what the, the character in this film gets obsessed with his hands and his arms. Because his mom, of course, had her arms cut off. Mm. So that made me hate only God forgives even more. So Nicholas Winding Ramp is really, he's lucky that I didn't see this before I saw that because I would, I would have hated that film so much more. And I'm just really peeved by that ending now of him like name dropping at the end of the film, which I think is the first time we've ever seen that someone name drop in their film. Um, to- probably, I mean, certainly in other movies, people have been thanked in the credits, but, Definitely not. But nothing just, you know, that prominent, like yeah. right at the end. Boom. This is for Jodorowsky. I can't wait to see uh, Jodorowsky's Dune. I'm really excited to see that. Is he actually going to finally make that? No, it's a documentary about it. About, oh, about like, what happened. Okay. But apparently... Because I know he does, he does have a new film out. Apparently just... they, they have, like, so much stuff with with that that they pretty much could make it, but... They should they should do that. But yeah, he had the Dance of Reality, which was his newest one. Which I think it's just like a biography film. But uh, Santa Sangre, a light recommend. It's it's definitely got some crazy, crazy visuals in there. But overall, it's just a huge disappointment. Big letdown. And then the only logical place to go next is Shakespeare. Of course. Just Whedon's much Ado About Nothing, which I have to say is the most I've ever enjoyed one of these modern retellings. Well, you know, I I read your Letterboxd review and it made me think if this was the most. And, and, and I, I thought, yeah, it is the most I've enjoyed yeah. one of these. But then, but then I thought, 
wait, how many of these have I seen? And I was like, like maybe three or four. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Let me put, let me put that out there right now that I'm in the same boat as you. I think I've only seen maybe for like four or five of these. Well, you saw you know, Coriolanus. I didn't yeah. see that. Which that was actually, I mean, for how those types of movies go and how much I usually disdain them, I would say that that's number two, which it's still not saying much because I hate these films. But uh, like the staging of this entire retelling was great. And I loved the main thing that I really liked about Whedon's uh, retelling is, you know, he's not, he wasn't allowed to make any edits to the script obviously he just keeps the entire play word for word the way that it was but i do love the fact that he was able to add like these reactions and the way that they delivered some of the lines yeah that sort of switched it up a little bit like when the characters are you know trying to get benedict to fall in love with beatrice and he's like you know eavesdropping on them and the one character is like extremely over the top with trying to sell this idea and the other two characters are like trying to tone them down I th- you know, those little changes I thought were fantastic and really added to it, especially like Nathan Fillion near the end, mm-hmm. like the comedy that he brought to it, especially to see where they locked the keys in the car, <laughs> <laughs> which just cracked me up for, for whatever reason. All that stuff I thought was, it was great. You know, it was just little edits yeah, to and, it and that's that thing. just made it better. Yeah, it was like little, it was like little comedic beats that he put in there that didn't detract from the play at all it just kind of added it just added a little bit to it to make it just more enjoyable yes definitely it just you know gave it that much needed levity you know just to lighten the mood a little bit because i mean shakespeare's just heavy stuff it's just ridiculous and but the the thing that got me was just overall was the uneven performances and now i know you're dealing with non-shakespeare actors so you sort of know that going in that it's going to be a little spotty here and there. But I was surprised by Frank Kranz, who I thought, I honestly thought going in that he was going to be the one that was going to be terrible. And I was wrong. He was great. He completely surprised me and blew me away. But uh, Alexis Denisov, I think that's, I have no idea if that's how you pronounce his name or not, who plays Benedict. He he was the cringeworthy one for me. And then the, the difficult thing is that he has tons more lines than mm-hmm. Kranz. Yeah. And you had to put up with his Benedict for entirely too long. It's just it, he just he it came off as he was trying so hard to sell his his lines. It's just it was rough to watch. But overall, I, I I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. I have to be quite honest, which is that's pretty high praise because I genuinely do not like these films at all. Well, like I was telling you off air, I don't know if I mentioned it when I talked about this before. I think I did, but. Either way, I'm going to reiterate. Uh, this didn't have me at the beginning. I was not. I was not no, really it, into it. it. It starts off very slow. And for some reason, and I, I can't even say at what point, but at some point in the in the film, maybe maybe like the beginning of the second act or something, it, it just grabbed me, and I was way more into it than I thought I would be. And I don't. I don't even know what it was. I don't even know what did it. But all of a sudden, I was just like really really into this movie i think for me it was the you know when they devised the plan to get beatrix and yeah maybe that was benedict it. you know and just the way that that sort of unfolded maybe that was because because for me that's when the the comedic beats started really showing up mm-hmm. 
but but before that it was just you know like people essentially like an exercise of them just reading a Shakespeare play because mm-hmm. it's just really slow and just them walking around talking to each other and you're like oh my god are you guys going to do anything <laughs> are you just going to fucking talk to each other and luckily they did so it was definitely a lot more entertaining than I thought it was going to be I was mm-hmm. pleasantly surprised check it out and then with the one that we both saw is we are what we are now did you I seem to remember you saying that you did see the original. Did you? See I the- did. Yes, I did see the original, which is odd. For some, I, whatever reason, that just seems really odd to me that I watched the original. I, I think it's very odd. That's why I asked again because because did you see the original? No, I never saw it. So I was thinking maybe maybe you thought it was a different movie a couple of weeks ago. We talked about this the first time. Yeah, I de- yeah, I definitely saw the original. Well, either way, uh, this I don't. You know, as far as these remakes go, sometimes I I think, like, why? Why is this being remade? But the interesting thing about this one, and and I'm sure that you can be, you know, speak to this more than I can, it seems like the setting that the remake was done in fit with the story. Yeah, it's it's weird because at first glance, it seems... Like sort of what we were talking about with American Psycho, where they just do like a bizarro because in the original the father dies and the eldest son is put in charge, oh. and they have to do everything. So in this one you're just thinking, okay, so they have the mother die and the eldest daughter's in charge now. Okay, you didn't really change it that much, but the setting is completely different. And this the the remake, uh, Jim Mickles version, sort of goes into this. It's it's all sort of this uh, loosely religious based, like it's a family tradition right. that they're doing. That's the reason. And with the other one, the original, it was sort of like a like a metaphor for you know poverty and capitalism and that uh, type of deal. Well, I guess and it took place in like the you know poor gritty sections of Mexico with you know police corruption and all that type of stuff. Seems like this one is more fitting of the story to me. I don't know. I- a little bit, and also in. In the original, like the children, like when the eldest son is put in charge of this, he still had to go out and get someone. Mm. Mm-hmm. So he actually had to go out and hunt and find someone and bring them back to the house and kill them. Where here, they already have the person. Right. They just have to prepare them. Well, I guess we should step back a little bit and talk about what this is all about. So it's like this very kind of backwoods. Does it take place in the Appalachians? Because it probably I think seems, read, seems like it does. I read and I actually put in my review, so I'm hoping that I was correct in seeing that it takes place in the Catskills, which is you know pretty much the same. So but, yeah, it ta- takes place in the in the mountains, mountainous regions. Mountains. That's right. And it's about a family, super religious family that have for generations have eaten people. That's right. That is the the very short summary. Mm-hmm. They eat people. And people eat. So I was uh I was pretty into this movie. I wasn't I wasn't blown away by it. Like there wasn't anything about it that will make me remember this a year from now. Yeah. And but that being said, it was still very well made. Like mm-hmm. it, it was a lot better looking than I thought it would be from a visual standpoint and the the acting the performances were a, a lot better than i thought 
they would be. I mean, I didn't really have any preconceived notions about the performances, but I thought they're really good. I mean, I love Michael Parks and pretty much anything that he's in. <laughs> and I thought that the two girls, uh, Amber Childers and was it is Julia Garner the other one? Mm-hmm. I thought that they were great. And I, I remember Julia Garner from Electric Children, which is actually kind of similar to this movie. She was also in Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, which was, so, uh, again, yeah. She's got, she's got a lot of background in cults so far. Yeah, and then so Amber so Childers was in The Master. And I actually know her from the show Ray Donovan. Oh, uh, Ray Donovan. Yeah, she's in Ray Donovan. Nice. I thought that they were really good. Oh yeah, they did. They delivered very strong performances. They sort of, they pretty much carry the entire film, and they make up for uh, the father's performance, who's Bill Sage, who I just thought I was, thought he was horrible. He was terrible. I, I yeah, like I just, I thought that he was really bad. Every time mm. he was in a scene, I was like, ugh, here we go. And, yeah, <laughs> I felt the exact same way, and just. One thing to mark with the it being a remake, it's it's weird because like the first one wasn't even that good. Like the first one was meh. So it, you, you sort of think like when I saw this was happening, I'm thinking to myself, why are you making remaking a film that was already like meh to begin with? Why why is this happening? But like you said, it's it's well made, and I like that they go for the slow burn effect. Mm-hmm. Like it it takes forever. Mm-hmm. to get where it needs to be the only problem is you know exactly where it's going right you know what's going to happen so all of it just becomes tiresome really yeah like the whole the fact that in the beginning we said that they eat people that's not a spoiler that's not something no. that they you know hit you with at the end where you're like whoa like you know from the beginning you know right off the bat what's going to happen so they go for like an hour of it, maybe even a little over an hour of buildup, and honestly, it gets very boring. After, like in the slightly in the beginning, you're like, oh, okay, re- I like the way they're building the atmosphere and the tension and everything, and then they sort of just keep going over the same things and just keep building and building, and then by the time they finally get to the end, you're just bored out of your mind because you know what's going to happen. Right. And, and this isn't an entirely new movie. There's a lot of movies that that carry this same kind of tone and even yeah. even like visually the way it looks there's a lot of movies like this i mean jug face is probably one that's very similar to this and you know so it isn't something that we it's not something entirely new but i think that it is well made and there were a couple things that i liked in it the all the detective stuff like with michael parks investigating the bones and trying to figure out where they're coming from and who, who could have done it and stuff. I liked all that stuff Mm -hmm. for some reason, the scene when he was going through the textbooks and like finding the disease that they have or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know why, but I really liked that kind of montage scene. Uh, I, I did write a one word, uh, keyword here that I wanted to come back to and that's lanterns. Yeah. They use the power, the, the, they use Yeah, the power goes out and it's just nothing but candles and lanterns. Well, and that was like kind of the funny thing because as I was watching it, there's so many lanterns in this movie and I'm like, who, who has lanterns? Who uses lanterns? And and I, I noticed that they all had the same lanterns too. Like the neighbor, 
She has the exact same lantern as the other people. They probably only have one general store, and they probably only carry one type of lantern. But see, that was the weird thing about this movie. Like, in in one instance, these... This family is supposed to be this, like, secluded, backwoods, you know, whatever. But at the same time, they all speak very intelligently. Like, mm-hmm. they don't sound like they're backwoods, no. homeschooled, you know, whatever. They all seem like they're very intelligent. And they also seem like they're, they kind of know what's going on in the world around them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they definitely seems, do. So it seems odd when... The the lights go out and they're carrying around old timey lanterns. They like, seem to be stuck just, in a time time period, yeah. you know, that's completely different from the rest of the world. You know, they have their old timey clothes, they have mm-hmm. their lanterns, just plethora of lanterns. And, you know, everyone else is in the present and they also seem to be completely secluded, but at the same time their neighbors like right there, right beside them. And how they own like a trailer park. Yeah, and uh I noticed that their truck was like a newer truck. It looked, you know, halfway decent. It wasn't some rusted out old, you know, Ford. It was like a new, newer looking truck. And, you know, they know how to use cell phones and stuff like that. Yeah, so. it's just, it's a very confusing film. For me, it just, it didn't seem, it seems like they didn't know what it, they wanted it to be. It's just constantly yeah, it's, at odds with itself. Like, it, the big yeah. thing for me that really got me is, you know, they're doing a pretty good job of building up this tension and everything in the beginning of the film, but yet they completely undermine it by playing this overly melodramatic piano music that's, <laughs> you know, sort of suggesting to you that, like, oh, we're taking this very, very seriously. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, you shouldn't be. Don't fucking do that because it's awful. You're just, it just seems silly. Like, everything is just now silly. It's, it just becomes terrible. And it's all by their own doing. They're like these decisions that didn't need to be made that they made that just completely undermined everything. I think when, when you have a movie like this, the score should fit the the atmosphere, like the setting. Yeah. You know? Like why I don't like it when they do that in movies where like the score just doesn't fit with where this is taking and place. It's really know? weird because then they do they have that type of music going on. Um, when they're sitting down to eat, you know, they play like the old folksy music, which makes complete mm-hmm. sense. And it, it does add to the atmosphere of what's going on. But the the one scene where the father stops, you know, there's a person on the side of the road with like a flat tire or whatever. Then they use like electronic, like tension music, which can feels which feels completely out of place because they never use anything like it ever. Right. In the film, besides that one scene. I also didn't quite understand the choice of doing the days, you know, showing that... There was no need for that. that was, like, I, I didn't get what the point of that was. I liked those scenes, like, when the one was, like, over the... Where they're, like, cooking breakfast yeah. or something, and it popped up, and then the one was, like, over the stream. Like, I, I liked the look of that, but I didn't understand com- why it was needed. completely superfluous. Just Because do we need to know what day of the week it is like what does that lend itself I guess, is that I guess, maybe just to let you know like how many days away they are from lamb's day i guess oh see i didn't even i didn't get that because well, like they do their whole fasting and then lamb's day is when they finally get to eat yeah 
but I, I still do. That's the only reason I can think of it. Probably, but I, I didn't really. But get I mean, yeah, you don't really get a sense of that. Uh, I also, I, and I don't want to spoil the end or anything, but I didn't like the. Ending no, either. the ending just. It, it felt. Uh, it felt completely against everything that they were trying exactly. to do. Exactly. It just it you turns know, like, into like a B movie at the end. For me, it did. Yeah, it like, just it turned completely silly. Yeah, I did not. Is that how the original one ended? As no, well? the original ends pretty pretty horrifically. I actually like really like the ending, like the very last scene of the original. But it's mm. yeah, it's completely different. Mm, okay. It's just I mean, someone gets hit with a frying pan. <laughs> yeah, there were a couple shocks in it, like the the one scene when one of them is is uh, with a with a guy and something happens. Yeah, that's it. That caught I, me off I knew I knew something was gonna happen, but I didn't know when and it was it was a, still a surprise yeah, yeah. to and me the way I, that they did it was yeah it was yeah, yeah that got me a little bit i freaked out a little bit yeah. there but that's it that's, really, that that's really, it that's all you got yeah that that was really the only <laughs> the only thing like when when they were actually like uh sort of preparing their meal or whatever i i wasn't really and it, affected and this is a very much. very small quibble but it just really pissed me off cuz i find it insulting you know, is it is is it smaller than lanterns? Because <laughs> that's a pretty small quip. It might it might not be smaller than lanterns. <laughs> no, it's not. But it's a little bit bigger than lanterns. But the first the first night that they prepare their meal and they sit down and they eat it, the way that they end that scene is the extreme close up of the father's face, like of mm. his mouth as he's eating it. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there thinking, yeah, I fucking get it. They're eating people. Like, is that really necessary? And of course, you know they they amp up the sound detail yeah. on that too, so you can hear everything. Oh, like, it just it really it really deteriorates at the end for me because most of the film I'm thinking, you know what, this isn't this isn't too bad. I like this slow burn approach that they're going, even though they fuck it up a little bit with the music and stuff, and. This isn't too bad. And then the ending comes around. And I'm like, oh, well, they just wasted everything. Good job. Yeah, I, I did not. I was not on board with the end, unfortunately, at all. But uh, this this does have an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. So you critics, critics are definitely liking this one. The only thing I can think of is that these are not predominantly horror movie critics. These aren't. I don't think that may- maybe these aren't critics that see a lot of horror movies because I really didn't see a lot in this that I haven't seen mm-hmm. yeah. many times over. Well, that was – I always have that trouble when I'm doing a review for the site. Like if I'm doing a horror movie, I'm always worried because I'm not a horror movie guy. Right. Yeah. And then the well, main thing that I didn't want to do is I didn't want to – all I see is people they, – all they, they do is mention the original and they got to tell you like mm-hmm. how the story is different. But honestly, most of the people that are probably seeing this haven't seen the original. I mean, it wasn't that the original wasn't that big of a movie, right? I mean, I didn't even. And see it, it, yeah, so. and it wasn't even like well received. It was. This isn't like uh, you know, let the right one in type deal. That's not what we're dealing right. with here. We're dealing with really a small Mexican horror film that barely anyone saw. For some reason got remade. For most people, I would still say check this out. Like for, for me, it wasn't anything special but i think for people that don't regularly watch horror movies that are looking for something that's 
at least somewhat well made mm-hmm. for Halloween. I think that this is one that you could probably enjoy. And the, yeah, that's definitely one of the things for me too to sort of glean from everything from this film is he does a really good job the way that he films it and the way you know the slow burn approach and everything as long as he just makes some better decisions next time around with the horror film like i have a feeling that he's gonna make some pretty stellar horror films if he stays in that arena could be i mean he did do mulberry street and stakeland which are also horror films yeah. and stakeland i did not like at all okay. And Mulberry Street, I don't even remember. I, wait, did I see that? Well, that right there is enough to know that. No, I didn't. <laughs> okay. I didn't see that. I didn't see Mulberry Street, but Stakeland was, uh, I was not into that. It's a That's a vampire story. It's kind of an interesting vampire story, but it, <clears throat> I was not on board with that one. It wasn't horrible. I will, I'll say it's not horrible. Okay. But. And the other thing, you know, how people get into the whole it's a remake and this and that the the story is different enough that it's not really a remake like he really changed a lot of like what the message of the film is about and really why they do this <clears throat> but i mean if he just came up with that story himself then people would be like oh he's ripping off that mexican horror movie from two years ago so it's one of those like double-edged right. swords where he has yeah. to say that it's a remake because the idea is there and he's using the title. I wonder if that's ever happened where, like, uh, a writer would write a script and then find that, like, oh, shit, this movie is the exact same as this other movie that came out that I didn't even know about. And if they ever approach that person, we're like, hey, can we just call this a remake? <laughs> I, I would I, I would not if be that's ever happened, Especially in the genre of horror. Like, yeah. if, you, if I were to come up with a film about a, a cannibal family hell there's got to be a cannibal family movie out there somewhere it's got to be hard yeah i mean there's so many different things now it's, it's you know zombie movie well hell how many fucking zombie movies have been made what can you really do i'm sure it, it, even if you try and write a script that do, that doesn't incorporate anything that's in a previous zombie film i that would be very difficult to do i would think I know that it, it sounded like I was kind of shitting on this movie a lot, but I still do kind of recommend it. Light recommend. Yeah, I would say a light recommend on my end too. I don't think I rated it on Letterbox, but I'm probably gonna give it a three. Okay, I went. I went five. Five out of ten on the website. Five out of ten. So, but it, it, the weird thing is, is that when I do go to Letterbox, two and a half seems too low. Right. But yeah. Three. See, that's that's why I don't do the the exact. You know, double. Well, thing. for me too, though. I was like three. That seems, that seems a bit high. Uh, I don't know. I'm sticking with the three on. That I think one. I'm. I'm just flip flopping between two and a half and three, forever. Okay, so like you'll just change it mm-hmm. every day. Every day, <laughs> just back and forth. All right, let's go over some predictions. Uh, last week we said, "Kill your darlings." I said 79, you said 77, actual 72. Okay. Carrie, I said 57, you said 52, actual 51. It's two for you. Nice. Escape plan, I said 40, you said 55, actual 46. Mm. The fifth estate, I said 42, you said 40, actual 40. Right. Yeah. Fifth estate. Not too good. Not too good. Fifth estate. The 
All's lost. I said 90. You said 79. Actual 95. And finally, 12 Years a Slave. I said 92. You said 95. Actual 95. Uh, 12 Years a Slave is pissing me off. Because okay. I see it everywhere. Like, you know, like it's the movie event of the year. Like, I, you know, every right. website I go to has banner ads and this and that. And I'm seeing articles everywhere. And I can't see it. And I hate when it happens. I hate when a film gets so much buzz, but yet half of the world can't see the damn thing. Yeah, it kind of sucks. This is me. I mean, they're talking about like it's, you know, wide release. It's getting so much damn attention. And I just got to sit and wait. Sit and wait like Yeah, I got to watch We Are What We Are (laughs) instead. While everyone else is talking about like maybe perhaps the best film of the year. Well, the same thing with All is Lost. I know, yeah. People are losing their minds over that one also. And I'm sitting here like, We Are What We Are is, you know, not too bad. Let me see what's on Netflix. <laughs> oh, I, I forgot to mention, I wanted to mention real quick, uh, those of you that do want to see some horror movies, Crackle is, they, they are having like a big horror movie thing where they they have like dozens of horror movies available for free oh, yeah? to stream. Nice. Yeah, so ch- check that out. I, last night I started watching Brain Scan. Yeah. <laughs> starring Edward Furlong. And Frank Langella. Yes. Which is about uh, Edward Furlong gets an interactive CD-ROM from Fangoria magazine. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that sounds uh, amazing. That, yeah, it's supposed to be like a video game, but it like turns him into a, a killer. And I, I fell asleep, but it, it looks like it's going to be pretty great. I'm going to finish it today. Okay. Featuring music by Primus and White Zombie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is such a 90s movie. I love it. Fantastic. All right. Next week, we have The Counselor. Okay. Pretty pretty excited about this, although I am sick of seeing the trailer. What do you think on The Counselor? <laughs> Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. I'd say like a 60. Okay. I would say like 68. And then we have Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa. Uh... Something tells me that that people are going to like this. Uh, there have been some, some early reviews coming out and stuff, and people are saying that it's hilarious. So I'll say 72. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to 76. Uh, limited release, we have Blue is the Warmest Color. Pretty excited for that one. Yay. Bl- Blood Brother. Not excited for Blue is the Warmest Color? Not really, no. I heard great things about it. I'm pretty excited. And we have Blood Brother and I Am Divine. Hit and limited release. Right. Video on demand. We have Sal, which is finally coming out. That's a one by James Franco. The, <laughs> like one of eighty by James Franco. Yeah. This is one that he made a long time ago. It originally screened at Venice, the Venice Film Festival in 2011. It's finally coming out. We also have Our Day Will Come, which is another one that was made a long time ago. This is back in 2010. That one was made. Wow. Oscilloscope is putting it out. And finally, Losers Take All is hitting VOD, and that's a movie about a punk band in the 80s. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it looks like it's going to definitely be better than that CBGB garbage. Uh, for some reason, when I look at the cover, I just think Airheads. I haven't seen the cover. I'm sure that it's... I mean, it, it looks... 
doesn't look great or anything, but which I might check it which out. Which follow up? Do you remember Airheads? Of course, I remember Airheads. Yeah. Are you kidding me? The Lone Rangers. <laughs> Fucking awesome. Uh, DVD and Blu-ray releases. We have Before Midnight. That's a big one. All right. Very. I, I'm pretty excited to revisit that. Definitely one of my favorite movies. Might be my favorite movie. Of the I'm year. looking forward to Before seeing it. You'll hate it. <laughs> uh, the Codgering, I give it a year. I know you're excited oh, for that yeah. one. Oh, yeah. The Internship. Oh, man. Solid week. The Way, Way Back, which I still haven't seen. Yeah, so you're not missing be... anything. I wouldn't jump out, you know, rush out and I'll see it. Give... Can... I'll give it you a watch. Ta- just take your time. You don't have to rush. Just... <laughs> Uh, uh, also, only God forgives, and necessary evil. The supervillains of DC Comics. Oh wow! I'm also seeing Paradise Fave, second film, Paradise Trilogy. Oh really? Okay. I'm seeing that on there. Uh, I'm waiting for all three of them. I want to watch all three, just one after the other. Well, actually, and just it's fun. Curl, funny you curl up that. in a room and just sob for like five days funny you mentioned that i'm about to see paradise hope i think today oh yeah so uh, about to about to finish off the trilogy there you, go. you do not you do not want to watch I'm all, of them all together. together on the same day buddy trust me you do not want to watch <laughs> i told them all you together. i got i took a week off from work just after i watch all three i'm just gonna sob in the fetal position in the room i should be all right Same thing. Right. i should survive i i would survive i think Forgot to forgot to mention. Did you see the Grand Budapest Hotel trailer? Jesus God, yes. <laughs> I watched it like four times already. I immediately lost my shit. Just lost it. It's amazing. I can't wait. Any uh, any others DVD? Uh, we have they're re-releasing the John Cassavetes box set, five films from Criterion on Blu-ray. Which uh, check this out, most definitely. You got Shadows, Faces, Woman Under the Influence, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie, and Opening Night. That's exciting. I, I, yeah, I have the original. Uh, mine's actually a knockoff. I think mine's like the Chinese version or something, mm-hmm. which is awesome. It's a fantastic box set. It's just, it's great. And I'm contemplating buying it on Blu-ray. Probably should. Yeah, and then there's one other one called The Uninvited which is a 1944 horror film from Lewis Allen, which I've never heard of. Now, there, there was actually a new <clears throat> one called The Uninvited. I don't know if it's a remake, though. It might be. Is it about a haunted house, and there's a ghost, and there's a romantic triangle involved in the ghost? Maybe. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't think I saw the... It might be a remake. I know that it's a ghost story. Boom. It's a remake. Probably in one way or another. Yeah. Classic Hollywood. Alright. Well, I think that that will do it. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us an email, feedback to filmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Thursday for Ryan Watch's And Christian's, uh, Christian's thought.